Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening and or watching Man vs. Brand. So we exist, I think, in a time where there are some blurred lines between um, mental health, mental wellness, mental illness, celebrity, influencer, um, attention-seeking behavior, right? Like, we, we now have, have been in a society where um, your way to, uh, like the young kids say, and I might be a young kid, maybe not really, to get clout is to do things that would seemingly be irrational, dangerous, and would possibly signify um, to uh, a bystander or pedestrian that something might be a little askew. Now, that's also because I think that um, social media, um, uh, celebrity-based journalism, uh, general uh, curiosity into salaciousness has um, created a society that has uh, very much invested itself in the absurd. And, and the absurd only gets more absurd um, the more that we delve into it. It's also to say, I think, that we are also in an era where um, a lot of self-diagnosis is happening, where folks are sort of um, bipolar today, uh, OCD tomorrow, um, people have learned enough jargon where behaviors are excused and or enacted because of some um, episode of ER and or, um, I don't know, house that they saw where, you know, there was something on it that sort of spoke to some level of a personality disorder that they feel like they're exhibiting at any given point. So you have a society that is interested in really odd, outlying, interesting, but also ridiculous behavior. And with that, a society that is also self-medicating oftentimes and self-diagnosing um, behavior, personality, psychological disorders based on what they've seen on TV and searched on Google, uh, or as my grandfather says, the Google. So with that, right, um, we, it calls into question at any given point, what's the litmus test? What's the decider for whether I am exhibiting mental illness or some spectrum of it or some signs of it, right? When all around me, there is self-diagnosis. There are these sort of larger than life characters doing ultimately ultra ridiculous things. How do I know if I have a problem, right? When 
when videos and clubs are filled with um, uh, discussions around uh, marathon drinking, consuming things like Molly, how do I know if I'm addicted? How do I know if this isn't casual and on par with people my age or if I'm in fact a part of uh, of of society that needs to seek help. I don't know the answers to any of these guys. All I know is I'm going to talk to Isaiah Cruz and he's going to talk to us about different forms of addiction and touch on um, his uh, experience with uh, practicing and treating as a certified psychiatric nurse practitioner folks who exhibit mental illness, uh, folks who have dealt with addiction, and hopefully he can clarify whether I am crazy and, in fact, whether you are crazy and quite possibly whether we are the most normal people in the world because society is, in fact, crazy. I don't have the answers. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But I think this is going to make for a great conversation. And we're going to start this episode in five, four, three, two, one. Yo, it's 2023 and I have a mind-blowing theory to share. Are you game for it? Let's go. You are listening to Man vs. Brand, meaning you're a man or a woman and you're a brand. Or you're a man or woman who is leading and making a brand. Or maybe you're in fact a part man, part brand cyborg and killing it as a Terminator. With 20 years expertise in guiding and coaching, I'm having the conversations for mans, brands, womans, and corporate conglomerates like Skynet. Hasta la vista, baby. So Isaiah, why don't you introduce yourself? Great, thank you. Um, Like you said, my name is Isaiah. I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. I've been doing uh, addiction medicine and uh, psychiatry type stuff for uh, about six years now, and uh, started with uh, opiate addiction, uh, cocaine addiction, heroin addiction, um, moved more recently into uh, alcohol and pornography addiction. Now, addictions and mental health kind of coincide. It's they one leads to another and, and, and vice versa. So uh, that's that's kind of my background. And to diagnose, we're all a little crazy, right? That, that's just there's no such thing as normal and that's all right uh so i opened the episode sort of setting up i think an ecosystem that um creates uh a um an odd scale for what traits of addiction and or mental illness looked like when they're exhibited because we see so much erratic, irrational behavior um, in our celebrities, in our influencers, in people we know, in our politicians. And so we don't quite, there really becomes a question of, you know, am I, Am I overreacting? Am I in a mood where um, this depression is is validated in some way because of the pandemic, the isolation, because of work, because of stressors? 
or am I in fact exhibiting something that needs uh, more help and more attention and more support than maybe my network can provide? So for me, Isaiah, the, the answer as a layman, right, who, who doesn't operate in this space sure. is uh, that it it's when, and this is what I've told my friends, like, right? It's, it's, it's the moment in which your life and daily habits are determined by these specific things, right? So the moment that um, depression creates a space where you can't go to work or where it feels like it's overwhelming or there feels like there's no one to talk to, where it feels like you're now isolated, where recreational drinking creates a space where you're consistently late to work or you're laid off from jobs or you're, it's disruptive to your friendships. And so your daily life is now starting to change because of this thing. I also know that there's high functioning addictions and high functioning, I would imagine, uh, people with some level of personality disorder. So, so, so how do we know in an era where so much of, of the world is in um, a really interesting place emotionally and mentally and leaning into things to treat and medicate those problems like drinking and or recreational drugs, how do we know if we're, if we're in trouble? What, what, are, what are some of the signs that like, this may be a bit larger than just um, a mood shift or um, uh, I go out drinking every night. Sure. No, you brought up some good points uh, because everyone is a little bit bipolar, right? Uh, good days and bad days, good weeks and bad weeks. That's what makes us human. To feel the feel the the high of life, just just enjoying yourself, and then the lows of life. That's what makes uh, that that that's normal. Uh, when does it become a problem? Well, there are some diagnostic criteria that mental health professionals use to determine when somebody is bipolar. And I do think bipolars maybe been the the term bipolars used often, uh, and, and and for people who have who have mood swings, uh, that's not necessarily bipolar. Um, and it feels unfair slightly to people who actually suffer from bipolar disorder when people are just kind of throwing around the term bipolar to just describe a mood swing. It feels a little reductive, like, sure. like to me, right? Like when I hear like friends or just people be like, like, oh, that person's bipolar. And it's like, well, are they? And right. to a person who would be bipolar, how would that feel to just have someone throw the term around as a way of just sort of dismissing shift in behavior. Yeah. yeah, that is. It is often used as an excuse. And even in the medical field, uh, bipolar has kind of been, been overdiagnosed, similar to ADHD. There's been a little bit of overdiagnosing. And a true, if you've ever met a true bipolar person, you'll see a difference. Uh, bipolar is typically a, a manic phase is, is marked by at least five days of continual hyperactivity where you sleep none none at all or only a couple hours yeah. and you're just up constantly full of energy uh, 
starting to engage in risky behavior, impaired judgment. Um, those are those are some severe signs of bipolar. Then you have a step down hypomania that is, is similar. Um, and then as far as the depression state. So like I said, everyone has a little mood swings, normal depression, normal as part of life. So what when, when do you get concerned? Typically, it's your loved ones who notice first because you're kind of in the fog of depression. Yeah. Right. And it's your it's your loved ones who say, hey, I'm a little concerned about you. And if if everyone if you don't have that or um, you kind of isolated yourself, because that's kind of part of depression, too. Uh, it, it's there are some diagnostic criteria for depression, a depressed mood almost or nearly every day for two weeks straight. Uh, weight loss or weight gain. Um, slowing slowing movements is actually a, a sign where you're just walking a little slower, talking a little slower, your cadence is just behind. Or the opposite is true. You're just hyper all the time, thought racing. Those are also some um, signs that healthcare professionals use to help kind of differentiate when is a depressed mood versus a major depressive disorder. And so, so, so when we see this, this kind of behavior exhibited in social media, right? And we're only really getting bits and pieces, curated information as it's uh, coming out. But as we sort of hear these stories about, you know, people staying up five nights to create albums or crying for 12 days because something didn't work out or um, someone throwing cell phones and tantrums and, and all of that, right? Like, mm -hmm. do you believe that for the average person, their understanding of true mental illness shifts when 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 there's a performative curated version of what that could look like is constantly being fed to them that's a good question it depends on the person and how involved they are in social, in media, in, in celebrities. I know some people don't, don't even care who's yeah. celebrities doing what. <laughs> that don't bother me at all. And yeah. then some people, that's their whole life. And, and well, yeah, that's going to affect you very much if that's where you set, you set your whole life to be. And, and of course, obviously, some of the stuff is set up. And some, and some of the stuff is drug induced or alcohol induced and that brings us to addictions and like when when is casual drinking become uh an addiction well that's it's it's hard and easy to define first you have to define an addiction how do you define addiction doing something that's harmful to you and not being able to consistently stop and so you have to identify what's harmful to you. Is, is, is drinking harmful? Well, we know that drinking is very hard on the liver. And we know that uh, about 30% of suicides are alcohol related. So we know that, that there's a correlation between that there. And, and then obviously drinking and driving, drinking and disruption in relationships. You know, you, you have more emotionally volatile and that hurts your loved ones so uh you have to determine uh, you know if you're drinking casually for years on end well there's a good chance that you're developing some some alcoholic fatty liver disease and you don't even know it so that is hurting you 
and you have to look at your relationships. And then there's other addictions, um, like, uh, of course, some of the, the street drugs, tobacco, caffeine, um, and then like pornography. I always call that one the hidden epidemic because. Well, well hold on. I want to, I want to, I want to, before we get into firmly into addiction, I mm -hmm. still want to, I want to, I want to, I want to lead. I want to move us to where I think I was going about the social sure. media thing very quickly. And then let's, yeah. let's jump into that. Right. Because so much of celebrity and social media, and that's why I was kind of bringing up that is, is really the teenage population, the early twenties population is looking at that and consuming it. And oftentimes not being able to differentiate reality right. from what's being curated for them. Right? right. And so, and, and so, to me, I look at it and think it's harmful because, you know, when 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 you can't tell what's real and what's not, what is done for attention-seeking behavior or to get more clicks, um, if you believe that thing to be true, right? If you think that your favorite artist is a cutter, or if your favorite artist, um, you know, does uh, copious amounts of drugs, or um, your favorite person um, is uh, where depression is the space where they create their best music and they're consistently in that space, right. you may then start to idolize it, idolize it and <laughs> embody it and react to it. And uh, almost, I don't know, I don't know really the term for it, but create in yourself some, some replication of what that thing looked like mm -hmm. to you. Right. Um, in order to create community with someone who you feel like you have this bond with. Right. And, and or you may start jumping from roofs because you see people doing it and just kind of displaying harmful mm -hmm. behavior that to any bystander looks like something is definitely wrong here sure. or has the potential for long-term consequence that can be wrong here. And right. so I think that's really kind of where I was headed to with the, with the, because I think most average adults are kind of looking at these people like, you know, you're just, you're being a little, you're being extra. Like that's, you know, it's a part of the game, whatever. But there is, I think, all, specifically on social media, um, and especially, you know, we've all been teens, right? So, especially in a time where you're so affirmed in knowing what you know, but actually don't know how little of the world you actually do. Right. And you're watching this stuff and emulating this stuff. And so, you know, if I'm if I'm like a parent listening right now, if I'm a young adult right now and and I, you know, my favorite celebrity is engaging in behavior that maybe seems a little absurd, or seems a little outlyish behavior, seems a little excessive, like. How do I know when I am becoming almost codependent on their behavior in order to validate myself? I don't know if I'm asking this right. I might. No, I get what you're saying. At, at what point is, a, is, is you're becoming – is this your – Sucking you in. Yeah. So that now you're going to start being hey, – behaving this way and how do you how do you know at the point in which this you might be um you might be crossing a line into a space that you may not be prepared for yeah 
Simple, simple answers. You don't. It, it's gonna. It's gonna be depend on, on variables. But ultimately, you want to look for: is this gonna be harmful for me? Okay. And what are the consequences to each decision? This is really nothing new. I mean, 20 years ago, it was what the grunge phase and, yeah. uh, and everybody would relate to that. And then, you know, and, and the, the people relate to the to these celebrities for a reason, because they, they they see something in that reminds them of themselves. So they attach yeah. to that. And, and yeah. people do take that too far. But in, in a little bit of a way, that's healthy. It's given them a, a person a way to express themselves. And, yeah. and, you know, some people you know, love the love songs or the depressive songs or, you know, or the I don't care about the world songs and because that's kind of what they're feeling at the time. And it's given them words to their emotions. So it's not necessarily a, a, a bad thing, but it can be taken to the extreme to where it is harmful. Yeah, I just I, and I'm, we'll, we'll shift from this. I just think that now more than ever, I think that there is it feels like performative attention seeking mental illness replicating behavior happening like fights like random just fights random you know i took 15 pills and i wanted to die but now i'm fine in order to get more likes and there's also this vulnerable population that thinks like okay does 15 does taking 15 pills mean that people are going to appreciate me more right does there's this this visual glorification of suicide right where you know, people are imitating taking their own lives, right? And and at what point does one who hasn't lived long enough to really understand the the repercussions of something like suicide um, really start to place all of this information that's being fed to them, right? All this visual stimulus, right? Visual and audio stimulus that's being fed to them. Like, how do they process all that when your your brain is still, in fact, processing, right? right. And so it's uh, it, it's 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 um, it's interesting to me, um, you know, what that teenage experience looks like right now because um, it is it is it has very little filter to it. Where, like you said, twenty years ago, you heard stories, you saw news coverage. Yeah. You you heard you heard a tale of a bat's head being ripped off and it was kind of like legendary, right? Yeah. Now it's kind of commonplace. Sure. It's like, oh, I was watching a video where, you know, um where where a couple guy came in, caught his girlfriend, punched her, they got into a fight, like, and that couple is staging it for their YouTube channel. But it's also teaching a very weird relationship so. dynamic to this person who's consuming it and not really understanding and, and finding some level of like joy or excitement or whatever, at some point you're going to become an adult and you're going to have consumed all of this really negative stuff, bringing us to a conversation. That's how it's going to get us like porn, right? Like it becomes like you become addicted to the stimulus, mm -hmm. to the highs of this, 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 particular form of engagement and the lines become blurred between when that thing is just purely for entertainment purposes and then when it's really something that becomes problematic in your life and your relationships so talk to me about porn addiction um what 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 
How much of the the U.S. the world? What's the? Do we know any of the the percentages of folks that are experiencing it versus yeah. what we believe is probably happening in the world? Because we know that a lot of folks don't self um, self admit to to having addiction right. issues. So, right, so right. what's the number saying, and maybe what's more likely the number showing? Yeah. Uh, Trying, trying to, to, to get a, an accurate number on who's addicted is hard because yep. people's definition of addiction is different. So being able to say, I'm not addicted. I just watch it every day. I can stop anytime I want. Uh, so, uh, but, but some of the statistics, about 91% of men and 60% of women ha have consumed porn in the last month. And about half of those have tried to stop at least once uh, and, and were on, unsuccessful. Uh, so that that right there is, is pretty significant. That's that's uh, you know nine out of ten guys, six out of ten women in the last month. Okay, in the last month. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to be completely transparent. A month seems like a very long time. Yeah. Um, in my friendships and knowing people, um. I think that's I probably think accurate. You know, two to three times a week is probably more accurate. Yeah. Like people are consuming some form of what they would consider to be um, porn or porn related two to three times a week. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly, I think there is a portion of those individuals that admit that it's not even for gratification anymore. It's just become a part of their ritual. Like their habit. They're yeah, bored. Like yeah. Friday night before I go out. Yeah. Right. It's it's almost like sort of having being a casual drinker. It's like I don't really need to, but it takes the edge off, and therefore I engage in porn. So like if the the if the if the 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 span of time is a month, then when when are you entering into a a, a zone where you might actually uh, need help? Is it when you can't stop and it's taking over your thoughts? Is it when you're watching it in inappropriate places? That that is true. Or I don't know. I don't. I don't really ask on that. So I'm asking yeah. you. Like, yeah, What's those are those are good good things. So uh, weekly, about eighty five percent of men have access porn weekly. Uh, so that kind of breaks it down a little little sooner. But when is porn a problem? That's a huge question I get all the time. When do how do I know if I have an addiction? And so it goes back, like I said, defining addiction, doing something that's harmful to you, and not being able to consistently stop. So you have to decide when is porn harmful to me. And so there's several different objective factors we use. Is is it when you are watching it at work, about 20% of men admit to watching porn at work. That's pretty decent. That's kind of to be expected. If I were to guess, that's probably what I would have guessed. But I, I, I've, uh, there's different ways to, act, to, to decide if, if porn is, is harmful to you. Uh, are you intrusive thoughts about porn. Yep. Um, then you have to figure out, like, how is porn harming my relationships? Yep. Does my partner, if my partner knows I watch porn, how does that affect them? Well, we know that it's going to decrease their self-esteem. 
that almost nine times out of 10, that's going to happen. So that's going to hurt your relationship. So that's one harmful factor. And sexual activity, I would imagine, right? Because you're probably not as inclined to engage in the activity because you have decided to self-engage instead of joining your partner in that. And so you're now excluding them from intimacy as it relates to to sexual. Then sexual uh, expectations. So oftentimes people want to mimic what they see in porn. And that can be degrading for some people. Some people don't want to engage in, in certain acts. And then uh, that that creates some friction there. Uh, and then constant use uh, and, and then porn use creates something called dopamine downregulation in the brain. So uh, you do an activity, you do something really in addiction. You do something like watch porn, a huge spike of dopamine. Your brain says, I like that. Let's do that again. So it, lets, it creates a new pathway to think about doing that activity. You do that hundreds of times and thousands of times. That's all a person can think about. So we get like compulsive behaviors. Cat scan of the brain. For joy because the dopamine is making you happy. And so you're in fact looking to hit that emotional high. And mm-hmm. so your brain has now associated that with pornography or whatever that thing is. And so therefore it's going to keep leading you back to that thing in order to right. get that sensation back yes okay but cat scan of the brain cat scan of an addict's brain they physically look different they're, they're brain imaging studies because all that repeated dopamine exposure changes the physical makeup of the brain and it reduces the executive function you're let you're not as good at making decisions when you are addicted to a, a dopamine releasing uh, product uh, substance or non-substance uh, activity gambling pornography. So, um, and then dopamine down regulation comes in as repeated exposures, a high amount of dopamine, your brain isn't made to live there. So what it does, your brain says, this isn't right. So it starts turning off dopamine receptors saying, I, I, this is too much dopamine. I, I can't function like this. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're not having enough dopamine which leads to, to depression. So you get high amounts of dopamine with porn, and then you go to lo- a hug on your loved ones. And you get very low amounts of dopamine. So that's starting to take pleasure, uh, taking pleasure out of things that you should be getting pleasure from. And that's that's some some different types of harmful, harmful behaviors from pornography. So. In the opening, I kind of talked about, you know, sort of leaning into behaviors. um, Habits specifically during the last few years, right? Where folks were isolated, um, where, you know, where there, there is, there were blurred lines between, you know, when you are um, trying to treat an immediate emotional reaction to something like fear, isolation, um, sadness, um, concern, and, and then maybe you leaned a little bit too much into drinking. Maybe you leaned into pornography. Maybe you leaned into um, tobacco. Maybe, maybe you leaned into whatever that thing is, right? Um, what, right? So, so, that, so, so there was a time where that thing was conditional, right? right? I am in this space. I am, I, these are stressors that I have not had 
had uh, previously experienced. I am trying to find my balance um, between the stressor and the the um, and and the solution for it, the temporary solution. And I remember specifically during the the the, the true heavier parts of the pandemic years, getting access to therapy was tough. Like even therapy, were like I'm either overbooked or like I'm kind of tapped out. Like, yeah, it was just like I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I am. I don't really listen. I'm. 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 I'm in. I'm. I. I. I need to create space for myself. Right. We all deserve that. Yeah. So. So that that also sort of then reaffirms this idea that I'm sort of gonna figure this out. Right. Like it's. I'm gonna talk to my partners, my teams, my wife, Oz, whatever, but ultimately decide what I lean into. At what moment? I already know what you're gonna say around this, but I'm still gonna ask the question, right? But sure. what, at what moment, right, do we then start to um, determine that those, that the circumstances that created and allowed for us to lean into these substances and habits are no longer credible for the reasons that we did, if that makes sense, um, right? So I'm in the pandemic, I'm stressed out, I'm drinking more. I know hundreds of people for whom that happened, like just started just drinking tons more than they normally do or normally did and, and now, now I've been drinking like that for two years. Right. Right. Do I need to seek treatment to dial it back? Is this my new normal? Like, or maybe I was watching pornography because I was stuck on Zooms all right. day long. And it was kind of the stuff I did in between my Zoom calls. And now right. I've created a habit where circumstantially it's created a space and, and everyone has choice. So you don't, everyone gets right. to decide how they spend their time and where they allot right. their energy. But there were a lot of people for whom that was just their way of coping through circumstances that were foreign to them. Right. So at what point do you know, like, I need help because this is no longer sustainable or I guess this is how I'm just going to live because in essence, it's not really disruptive and it doesn't feel harming right. because the thing that I was getting um, some level of um, distance from was the harmful thing, right? So right. I was just, yeah. I was afraid of COVID. I was bored from work. I was isolated. So that I was actually, that thing was harmful. This thing was the solution. How do I then determine that now this thing is harmful? Because right. that thing is no longer as much of a prevalent threat as it sure. was at the moment. Yeah, I get it. So when do you seek treatment? If you try to stop stop on your own and you failed okay. uh, or or you realize it's harmful. And, and if, if you just say, you know, what, it's not that harmful watching porn three times a week. Uh, no big deal. Like, that's fine. I'm not here to judge anybody or tell somebody if, if porn's right or porn's wrong. That's not my job. Sure. But there are some objective clues to look for. We, we know the medical uh, um, the medical dangers of, of drink consuming alcohol. 
you get on the CDC, you can find how many drinks a, a man should drink, how many drinks a woman should drink before it's considered excess. Go to your doctor, draw some liver functions, check your liver. If everything's looking good, all your relationships are in, are in order. There is, uh, you know, there is a, a point where casual drinking, self-medicating some anxiety isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But there are some hidden. How do you know when your liver's your liver is compensating for alcohol toxicity? Well, you have to go into your regular doctor checkups, making sure that everything's healthy. And then pornography. I get this question a lot. Like and I'm doing one podcast. The guy told me, uh, you know, Isaiah, I watch pornography. It's no big deal. Uh, it, you know, I, it, there's nothing wrong with it. That's fine. I, you know, I'm not judging you. But there are some objective things that you should know before you consume. Like, uh, so the pornography is the third most common form of sex trafficking, according to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Right, right there. Like some of the people you've saw aren't willingly there. Yeah. And how does that make you feel? Are you yeah. okay with that? Yeah. And, and and then then nine out of 10 uh, pornography videos have violence or aggression towards women. And how do you feel about that? Are you okay with, 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 with the violence that these women had to go through or, or aggression? Like, so there's some objective things. And then take a deep, deep, big back step away from your life and your pornography use how is it really affecting me is it real is it is it going to is it altering my sexual expectations that that my partner or future partner i expect them to do this this and this and is that really fair of me to alter and expect them to do something because i watched porn so is it because we exist in a space of immediate gratification where everyone just wants what they want when they want it and so therefore there's not really this sense of like broader consequence like i'm not really thinking about my future self and what my future partner wants i just want the thing that i want in this moment and therefore that's what i'm going to pursue it's human nature right success yeah. is is determined by how how well you can delay your gratification yeah that, that that's yeah. so where does where do you well, only fans the 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 proliferation of the economy of performed sex um, that doesn't come with any real, it's a lot of self-regulation, right? Like it's a lot of self-determination, um, self self-determination of who my partners are going to be, how much content I'm going to make, how much money I want to make, how much I'm going to show. Um, the um, It has now, and I'm, I'm speaking to your human trafficking thing, is now almost that people are self-opting to Exploit themselves. Exploit themselves, right? And 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 it hasn't been around long enough for there to be, I think, enough data around what that does to individuals in their later life, right? Like, right. like, are, is that thing weaponized against them? Does it allow for healthy relationships? But there's a ton of people that so are. Here, especially now, people that that are that are that are that, and, and listen, not the ones that are making the, the hundred thousand dollars, whatever. Yes. 
just out here on TikToks, Twitters, OnlyFans, mimicking this sort of over-sexualized as a way of gaining attention, attention and resources and money. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, economy and what what is that? What what are the what does that say about what the future of porn looks like? Because now porn isn't as clean as xxx.com or whatever. It's now you're three clicks away from Twitter from like a you know from from a whole sort of this thing has privacy on it, or your your child, your twenty four year old son can be making content and is now calling themselves a content creator and sort of justifying it as earning money independently or following entrepreneurship. So, how how's that? now play into this porn conversation because it feels like it's there's a shift in the acceptability of it and the access of amateurs to create and proliferate porn activity yeah i i heard two two different questions there uh one about the only fans and two about how how it's going to affect or porn in in like the only fans in regards to like uh um, the harmful effects. You yep. mentioned OnlyFans hasn't been around long enough to see long-term certain uh, results. I would argue prostitution is the almost the oldest career ever, right? It was back thousands of years ago. And that's what this is in a different form. It's, I mean, it's sex for money, right? That That's prostitution. Now you're choosing that. Now some people choose that. That's fine. Again, I ain't going to judge, but OnlyFans is like prostitution without the immediate harmful effects. See, right? I kind of disagree. I feel like it's 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 prostitution with a voyeuristic element to it, right? right? So this it's it's you're you're significantly widening your audience. Where mm -hmm. prostitution was about one on one encounters in safe or unsafe spaces, right. this is about the broadcasting and proliferation of a sexual activity that is now no longer just you and an individual. And there's not a level of, of, of criminality to it. It's now like, no, like you're not a prostitute. Prostitutes go to jail. Right. You pay taxes. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> because you are an entrepreneur. Right. You're actually not a prostitute. So don't feel bad about not don't feel bad, but don't you're like, I don't think that the people that are doing it are even thinking of themselves as prostitutes. Right. They're thinking about themselves as, as tax paying entrepreneurs and, and that are doing entertainment. And so that, that becomes a very, cause I agree with you that it does have, uh, it does have, it does lean into that space. But the reality is, is that it's, consumed and branded as sex positive entrepreneurial work right i mean what prostitution is legal in in las vegas correct like, yeah but that's like bunny ranches this is like 
everywhere. Right. <laughs> I mean, you maybe maybe prostitution might be a little little leap. Maybe yeah. uh, like a exotic dancer, similar to that. Like, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you're 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 performing for people, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, you you have to look at the 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 harmful psychological effects. Is this is this really who you want to be as a person? And and that goes for the person creating and for the person viewing, right? Yeah. Is this really who you want to be? Are you proud to say that you go to OnlyFans? Right. If you have kids, are you going to tell, you know, are you proud to say what your kids know that you went there? Like, are you, are, you know, and some people yeah. the answer is yeah, and that's fine. Uh, but uh, then how is OnlyFans playing into porn? That's that's really to be determined. My one thought is that's only going to push porn industry further and further because you're always looking to outdo the last person. And with OnlyFans, with, with you know professional uh, porn studios, they're going to push that boundary even harder now because they have more competition. Yeah. And then, um, then you have the whole AI and virtual. Um, you know, you have you have like a, a, a AI ro- robo sex, you know, robotic sex, and then virtual uh, virtual reality sex that plays a role into you know that's up and coming in regards to pornography as well. And you also, I think, have like safety practices right where studios tend to have more rigorous safety practices uh um age limitations where you know when you're doing now you're engaged in self-selection around how you're going to engage right then to me also it's also like the attention seeking part right so so when we talk about things like depression or getting highs and lows right like I put out a video, I get this high, Absolutely. but this may not actually, this may not actually be the embodiment of my real life. Right. Right. And so now I need to feel, I need to put out more and more of that content. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very similar to social media. Right. I want, I need affirmations right. and subscribers in that. And I might end up in a really bad space. Or it changes who you are. You, yeah. know, you, you create content that is not really who you are. Well, well, after a while, you you try to embody that even more and to become something that you're not in order to be to feel that affirmation. Yeah. That's uh, a hard, hard, hard place to be. Yeah, yeah, it is, man. It definitely is. I think that um again, like I, I in 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 thinking about this episode, right? Like uh, there was a part of me that like a, a lot of it felt adult, but then a lot of it felt like adult things are being perpetuated to younger minds, right? And so, how do we, how how do we get in front of the person before they are in a space where they're now in trouble, when so much of this is performed for them, right? Only fans is like. All you need is a credit card to subscribe, right? All you need to be is like 18 to join, right? Um, social media is telling you like, you know, jump off, jump off, run on milk carts or drink glue, right? right. And, and then at what point, right? And I'm not saying, I'm not correlating this to like saying that this will create mental illness or that this will create addiction um, because I'm not, you know, sort of authorized to even have that that level of thought, but I think it gets a little tricky with impressionable minds as they're developing, as to 
what their thoughts about life is, right? And, and like the opening, you know, what's the scale look like, right? Like when 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 only when access to only fans seems like, oh, that's a really great way to make money. It's like Uber Eats. It's like doing like delivering Amazon, right? Like how does that shift your scale of understanding what the harmful effects could be? Because delivering Amazon is a self-economy. Only fans is a self-economy. Very different results right. in the way that you earn money, but also in the way that the world views you and possibly in the way that you view yourself right. and your own sense of self-worth and value, which could then lead you into paths of drugs and addictions to compensate for 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 the fact that you know you you were introduced to these ideas at a very impressionable time right i don't know um so i'm a person i am seeking help right right um Like, I you live in New York, right? Do you live in New York? No, no, no. I no. live in Indiana. Indiana. All right, cool. Indiana. All right, there's some New York vibe to you. All right, cool. All right, yeah. all right. Um, I'll take it. All right, there you go. Um, so here, a lot of like the hospitals, particularly connected to universities, do trials around addiction, around mental illness. Absolutely. And they they just have them on the trains and like billboards. Um. Our advertisement, specifically on television, tends to be slightly different, but in smaller cities, specifically that do a little bit more local stuff, you tend to see more addiction um, support, like centers doing advertisement, like, do you feel like this? Have you experienced this? Join us at the center, whatever. Um, and then there's just like NA, AA, all of those things that, you know, you know, three strokes of your keyboard and you can find a place to, to go to. Right. right. Um, yeah. and then you have your doctor and this is what I want to talk to you about. Right. Like so many folks that I know that might need support are concerned that this thing will follow them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So they either opt to not do it or they do the trial that they're not really even sure about to try to get the support that, they hope will work out mm -hmm. or they join the meeting and they do one because there's no real follow up. They just kind of let it go. I mean, they probably really need a, um, maybe and, and don't want to, you know, the idea is I don't, I don't want to take off of work. I don't have right. 10 weeks to do an outpatient program. So sure. I'm not going to do that program. Right. So those are the things that they have. And then they have their medical professional general practice doctor who may be able to refer them out but they're concerned about this thing following them for the rest of their lives. Like, yeah. is that a real concern? Like I've, I've heard it. I've never had to approach um, sure. my physician about it. So I don't yeah. really, I've never like inquired or even thought about it, but is that like a real thing that, that this thing could potentially become a problem in their career um, in, in, in how they're treated um, with, they're a future different physician. Like, is this something that becomes a determiner where, where I think something that you may be concerned about is then transcribed as something 
that is more given more credence or given more um i don't even know the word i'm looking for uh it's it's given it's, it's looked at more intensely than what maybe you wanted to go in for so you just kind of abdicate it all because you don't want you to go in for like thinking you are feeling down and wondering what you should do next thing you know you're on medication now you're known as a man of depressant and you're like i I just wanted to talk to somebody, right? So right. How, how does one approach their medical doctor? Actually, two questions. I always ask two questions, by the way. How does one approach a medical doctor um, to talk about it? And should, is there a legitimate concern about um, about specifically in the mental health space that that maybe our ideas around HIPAA and disclosure don't really apply because this is something that, where you may pose a threat to yourself or others based on how that diagnosis went. Yeah. There is a concern, uh, mostly with addiction. Uh, I, I get this a lot. People like, oh, I, I uh, they oftentimes they come to me uh, because they don't want to go to their, their family doctor uh, because they don't want that in their chart. Because they they've known their family doctor for 10 years, 20 years. Uh, so th there is a little bit of a concern there, but if it's to the point where, where you mentioned like, uh, that, that something has to be reported, that person needs help. And, and yeah. there's that, at that point, everything goes out the window. You, your, your, the, your health and safety is above everything. And it, you know, it doesn't matter, but as far as seeking treatment, and that's why telemedicine addiction is so popular now, because one, it's un it's an underserved population. So it, whether you're in a big city and you're on a wait list to get treated, or you're in a rural place and there you have to drive 60 miles to get to an addiction treatment center, there's the online option. And then with that online option, because th there are some reportings that that people do in their chart. You go to your your chart, your family doctor. It's it's in your chart. But if you go to a, a telemedicine agency, it's it's a little harder for your doctor to find that. Not to yeah. say it won't won't ever find it, because yeah. you know it, it's out there. So you know somebody sh can scrape and find it. Um, but it, it it is a concern that a lot of people have. It is, and it, it's one that I always think. You know, you're concerned about a future where this is disclosed. The real concern should be the present where your future is at risk because this thing right. is going unaddressed, right? So it's like we're considering a future that may not even be applicable if this thing isn't real right. in. Right. I was also going to say as a New Yorker, yeah, we... It is not uncommon to go out drinking every night as just culturally, like literally it's like drinks for work, drinks with friends, drinks with yeah. family, drinks with people that are out of town. Like it's not uncommon to be in a space and see people do recreational drugs and just be like, that's kind of what they do. And it's not, it doesn't ever feel like it's consequence. Right. Right. Um, and then it's interesting because there's, there's also like an almost value system around it, right? Like you do these things and it's safe and acceptable, but you do these things and you have a problem, right? 
right? And, a fine and line so, to walk, uh, walk, especially because like if you don't drink, then that draws more red flags. Like what? You, you're you so you're in recovery. Oh, we can't drink around you. We can't talk about it. Alcohol around. But yeah. if you drink too much, then then you're 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 an alcoholic. You just the right amount. Exactly right. There's it's yes. always like you know it's like oh you know you can you know you can you can do you can do Xanax to like take the edge off right but then um the moment that you know that you're like drinking and doing it now everyone's like oh my god you drink and take prescription medication and it's like no the person's always been taking prescription medication now they're drinking our conversation needs to be when are these two things happening and are they leaning into each other right but they're almost these kind of like judgment calls on when something presents itself as being problematic or not right and so if, if, if how do we how do i as an individual navigate when when and how or how to be in support of my friends that are on either side of the spectrum that are recovering and I'm struggling to find safe spaces for us to go right. or the other side where my friend may be in trouble and I'm not sure how to approach this because maybe I'm engaging in part of the behavior. Maybe I'm there for the first four drinks and then I find out that there were eight more and you're passed out, right? So how do I, as a friend, support the outliers of of experience, right? The 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 I, I need sobriety, I need support in this moment, and then I need I may need help and and, and, and I'm watching a behavior continue that I don't feel I'm prepared to to be able to confront or support it in the way in which provides results. Like, what am I? What am I doing? Am I talking to somebody? Am I calling? Am I going online? Am I calling a, a telehealth? Am I like where where am I going as a supporter of a person that needs me to be a the best version of me for them? Right. So um, with supporting somebody, you know, you have Al-Anon, which is like uh, AA for family members and you can get support there. You can get a lot of good resources on how to approach a loved one, someone you care about who's drinking too much. Uh, so that's a great. Ultimately, you want you want to one express that you care about them. This yeah. is coming from a part that I actually I care about you and about your health, your mental health, your physical health. And this is what I'm seeing. And and that and then of course it's going to be individualized. You you know your friend best, you know your loved one best, so you have to take it based on what you know. And then the sobriety part, it's uh, it's hard because our culture result revolves around alcohol so much, and we don't even realize it until we try to stop. Or you have a sober friend, and you're like, oh, what do we do? And go to Chuck E. Cheese? Like what? Uh, so uh, you just, you just have to. A lot of coffee, a lot yeah. of coffee, a lot of, yeah. a lot of parks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But man, it, I mean, doesn't it take guts nowadays to be sober? Like, yeah, that's, I mean, congratulate your friends. Like, I'm proud of you. You're doing it. Uh, you know, that's, that's and, and to have the language, you know, like I, I listen to folks um, 
you know, friends, associates, uh, former colleagues, whatever, that are like, you know, during my active addiction phase, this is what was going on with me, right? And now that I'm in recovery and active recovery, this is what happening to me. And like, I think now the language feels very clear and concise about what's happening in people's process that didn't necessarily feel the same because before it was like, you know, I'm going to AA. All right, well, let me know when you want to stop, right? Drinking, right? Like, let me know when you're over the hump and you want to go full sober, right? And so I think language plays so much into it because it really does, I think, help framework where people are in their process and their ability to like articulate that um, so that you can be as best of a friend as, as you can. Yeah. And really in alcohol, I've been doing this for a while. Moderation is really kind of taken over as the, the model of choice. Now you have yeah. AA for sobriety only. and people are kind of bucking that. Like they, they, they want to be able to have drinks on Friday with their friends, but yeah. only once a week yeah. and, and they can't. So what they seek treatment where at places that, that will help you moderate that some places are strict. They're like, Sobriety or nothing. Uh, you know, we don't we don't support uh, controlled drinking or moderated. You can't you can't do that. Well, you can. I, I've seen I've seen people moderate their drinking. And really, I, I of course, I do the medicine part of things. So I prescribe the medication. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a big fan of it because it works. I've seen it work. And it doesn't work for everybody. No, there's not a pill out there that's going to work for everybody. But I've seen a lot of good success with it. All right. Perfect. So let's actually talk about um medication for the close of this right so um so so what are we seeing advancement in what maybe are some some medications that maybe um with someone who is certified uh in dealing with uh psychological clinical issues can you can have a conversation with them about maybe these options that you may not be aware of so what are some options out there in terms of medication that uh, maybe uh, a listener might uh, be able to inquire about in order to help them? And, and what does that specific, those specific medications support? Yeah. So we mainly talk about alcohol and pornography addiction. And of course, there's all, a lot of other addictions and we can go into those if you like. But for alcohol, there's five medications. You have naltrexone, acamprosate, Baclofen, gabapentin, and topiramate. Those are the five main medications um, used nowadays. You have your antabuse, which makes you sick if you drink. That's kind of outdated. All the studies show that it just really doesn't work. But those are the main medications that that pres we prescribe daily, and they they do work. And, and what they do so? What's the idea around? what these yeah. things are doing in order they, to they each do a little something different now trexone yeah. is the gold standard it's the it's the first line treatment it works by reducing the endorphin release from external stimuli you drink one drink your brain says that's great let's drink four more what helps to shut that down so you don't get as much pleasure out of drinking it's easier for you to say no got it Got it. That now, a lot now some of the other ones, they, they treat it from different angles. You know, it helps to treat anxiety and insomnia. It's a lot of people drink because they're anxious or drink because the, the, they can't sleep. Uh, um, other ones uh, balance the glutamate and GABA receptors and, and get a little more technical. Um, now, with pornography, there's two medications we use for that. Again, I, I've learned about this because I was treating, uh, treating 
my patients for alcoholism with naltrexone over the course of about a month, about had about five guys tell me, I don't take this for alcohol anymore. I take it because it keeps me away from porn. And I was like, what? They, no. So I started researching it. There's been medical studies about naltrexone for the use of internet sex addiction. And it works a similar way. It stops that Pavlovian effect. Like, so I, I, I have to do, I have to send an email for work at 9 p.m. I open my computer. My brain says, computer porn. So it automatically starts releasing dopamine. It starts that snowball and I can't, and I got intrusive thoughts now about porn. Well, this medication stops that before it even gets started. It does help with some impulse control. It's actually being, being studied for the treatment of ADHD because it has a lot of that impulse control aspect to it. And then the second medication we use for pornography is an antidepressant. Uh, a lot of people like Prozac, Zoloft. Well, the side effect of those antidepressants is sexual dysfunction, decreased yeah. libido, inability to orgasm. Well, so we took that, and, the, and and you know, I'm not the person who invented this. There's been yeah. studies done on antidepressants for the use of sex addiction treatment, and it decreases the libido, and it's just your intrusive thoughts about sex and about porn are, are decreased. Now, so obviously the fan favorite is naltrexone for porn treatment because it doesn't really affect your libido. Now, if yeah. you're single, not sexually active, and you feel you have a porn problem, and you want to get on an antidepressant to decrease your libido, great. That's fine, uh, but but naltrexone is really the gold standard for both of those. Um, so so I would be remiss not to ask, like, wh why this in the last six years for you? Like, what what became the determinant for you saying I want to help people, um, and I want to help people in this space? Yeah. So I kind of fell into the opiate addiction. Uh, I, I became board certified in family practice first, and I did do my family practice training. And I was like, that's way too much. I don't, I don't really like the family practice. I need a subspecialty. I saw a job opening for opiate addiction, and I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? That is exactly what I want because there's an opiate epidemic. I don't want to I, I, going down and this is like some of the, the, the worst overdoses we've ever seen. Going down in history, I want to look back and know that I was a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. So that's I hopped on that bus with opiate, kind of transitioned to alcohol and pornography. Pornography really hit me because I have four daughters, and uh, I, I, I'm uh, so you don't watch porn. Yeah, I can't watch porn. Right. Right? Tell not, like you have four daughters. You were you were. <laughs> You were connected <laughs> with your spouse. Right. Way, like, right. I like girls. Play. Yeah. I would say I like girls. That's kind yeah, of how, exactly. how you were not playing at all. You were yeah. like. <laughs> so um, I heard some statistics about porn and I was like, that that's just crazy. How are yeah. my girls supposed to find a spouse that that isn't influenced by porn? Not to say that that's, that's a horrible thing or the worst possible scenario because it's not. But given the violence associated aggression towards women in these porn videos, I'd prefer if I had a choice, I'd prefer them to find somebody who isn't uh, affected or by, by porn. So then, uh, so I felt like I had an obligation to at least try to help. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I have two questions that I ask everyone, um, uh, that's on the podcast. And so the first one is on any streaming channel, uh, podcast books are included. I recently included those just because so many people are now diversifying where they're getting stuff from. What's something that you recently consumed that you really, really enjoyed? 
um, fiction or nonfiction books? Don't matter. Either. <laughs> so yeah. Um, recommendation and referral. <laughs> I'm a big audiobook guy. I I think yeah. I've hit like about 53 audiobooks this year. Uh, okay. So it's like you know two, two a week. So but I I do a lot of fiction, a lot of nonfiction. Uh, Atomic Habits. I read that one. That one because it has a lot to do with my work, right? habits and, and addiction. I really like that one. Um, and then uh, fiction books. I like um, a, a genre called lit RPG. Uh, so it's literary role playing games. So it's a it's a pretty decent genre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, cool. So second is, and by the way, what's funny is I was just talking to a person who uh, specializes in uh, habit and habit stacking, and we were just talking about atomic habits. So yeah. I can talk to you about that, but we're at we're all we're we're we're, we're at our hour, so I want to make sure that we're that I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm respectful of your time. Um, so on any streaming platform, podcast books included, uh, what's something that you enjoy that your network may not know that you enjoy, right? Like what's something that you, you, you're like, wow, I really love this. But like the average person that knows you may not know that that's something that you are thoroughly appreciative of, right? Maybe niche, maybe, um, something that like, you know, you, you brought up from childhood, like what's something that you thoroughly enjoy that maybe folks wouldn't, uh, obviously associate with you that's interesting um it's it's uh it's kind of funny i i i'm kind of a most people don't realize i'm kind of a diverse person like i do i do jujitsu and i weight lift but i also play like role-playing games like nerdy stuff and, and i do a little bit of both and i can also work on cars and fix things around the house but i also have a master's degree in medicine and it's like i do just a little bit of anything so, so let's talk about role-playing games. So like, are we, where are you at in the role-playing? Cause there's like a spectrum now of. Yeah, of I'm not, cra I'm not like, crazy. Like, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> because, because uh, for a very long time I was in AD&D &D, and then I moved into uh, Magic the Gathering and then I spent some time kind of surfing the Interstellar RPG game bracket. So. Spend a little time in a couple places. So I'm asking sort of where you sit in the in that space. Like, so when you talk about role-playing games, like what games are you talking about? Because the other beautiful thing is, is that crowdfunding has allowed for there to be RPG games that sort of weren't, aren't big platforms that don't right. have sort of large backing yeah. um, to be created and or campaigns that are kind of, homebrewed in a way and that sort of blend a couple things together to create something new. So I wanted to know, like when you, when you talk about playing RPG, like what are you talking about? I'm, I'm strictly new to the RPGs. I just started okay. this past year. So right. uh, Scythe, uh, um, Pandemic and Fog of Love are the three, three I've been playing for the last like four or five months. Got it. Got it. Awesome. All right, cool. Um, I tried Vampire to Masquerade for a bit and, um, I just couldn't get like okay. Here's a better. All right, so are you are you a vo are you committed to voice acting and embodying your character? Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I love my voices. All uh, right, well, all right, good. Listen, like that was the thing. Like I think I tried that. I tried Vampire Masquerade for a bit, just for a quick second, and I just I my I, 
my cadence, my voice. Like I just couldn't get into the the into the role. But like almost in every other instance, I sort of found my space, except for that one. So I actually watch it online a, a, a lot um, for for D and D type stuff. I watch Critical Role. Um, that's pretty awesome. They're like dope voice actors. Um, and then Amazon picked up, um, they created a cartoon based on, um, the RPG game. I think it's called, uh, let's see, Deuce, Deuce Ex Machina, Deuce Ex Machina on Amazon. So if you ever get a chance to check it out, I might have misspelled it, but it's based on a role-playing game that became really famous for the characters that it had. Mm-hmm. And they took one of their uh, role-playing game scenarios and then developed it into um, a multi, um, um, a multi-episode, um, like animated series that has all the same voice actors, all the same circumstances, and all the same comedy. And wow. so uh, that thing's pretty funny. So if you get a chance, man, maybe check that out. So you will love uh, lit RPG, literary role playing game. It's a whole genre of books. Um, you can just it's on, it's on Audible. It's also called okay. Game Lit, Gaming Lit. Okay. Um, but uh, there's some top five, top three books: The Land, uh, Dungeon Crawling Carl, and He Who Fights with Monsters. Yeah. Phenomenal books. The audio audio voice you should look up is Nick Podell. The best Nick uh, Podell. Nick Podell, right. best audio, audible uh, voice actor there is. Yeah. All right, done deal. I'll check it out, man. RPG. I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, all right. So if I'm interested in in consuming your content, what you're doing, if I'm considering, you know, uh, that I need support or I have some, uh, a friend or a loved one that needs support and just hearing what you position during this podcast or watching this video is something that I'm interested in, uh, where can I go to get and learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, so uh, nox.net, no-x.net is, uh, we treat pornography addiction there. You can go to our story, you can book a 10 minute free session with myself or my co-founder colleague who's also a nurse practitioner. And uh, so you can talk about um, uh, pornography there. As far as alcohol addiction, uh, I work with Ria Health, R-I-A-H-E, or Health, RIA health, yep. uh, dot com and that's uh, alcohol addiction treatment, all, all telemedicine. Got it. So uh, when, when folks are sort of like considering, right? So this is sort of like a final question, right? When folks are considering um, what and when or why to um, to make the, the the leap, right? To 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 some level of submission, admission to the fact that there's something happening in their lives, right? Like, can you speak to the success stories on the other side? Like, I'm listening and I'm thinking, this is manageable for me. This is I'm going to be okay, right? Can you speak to like? And nothing specific, but just what the other side for them could actually look like if they journey into a space where they're going to be supported and helped through this process. Right. 
admitting you have a problem is one of the hardest things because we, it's hard to see our own flaws. So with alcohol, I've, I've heard the story about the pandemic increasing your alcohol intake a thousand times. You're not alone. This is, and, and we have a roadmap to get you to your destination. Is, is this who you really want to be? How is this harming me? Who's looking up to me and seeing how much I drink? Do I want them? Do I want to be this person? How's this, you know, am I taking years off my life with the alcohol and the pornography? Who am I hurting? I don't even know about, you know, the, these actors and actresses right, who aren't willingly there. Is this who I want to be? I've talked to a patient uh, with, with pornography. You think of a pornography addict all day, every day, right? Well, this guy was, he was a religious guy, watched porn like two or three times a year. And then he would hate himself, feel like a hypocrite because he'd go to church and 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 just, you know, and, and he did this for like 10 years before he sought treatment. And then he finally sought treatment, got the, got the support he needed and he's doing great. So, uh, yeah, there, there, there's you're not alone. There, there's success stories. And we have there is a roadmap to get you to where you want to go. You just have to lean on people who've been there. Absolutely, man. Listen, guys, uh, I want to thank Isaiah for being here on the episode um specifically i want to add my two cents uh before closing this out um there is no shame in getting help right like like some of the hardest and bravest work is in fact getting help um it is so much easier to stay at our our least accountable selves right and and know that there is um, a space and a universe where we are functioning without the guilt, without um, the the compulsion of what we're facing right now. And if you could give yourself an opportunity to choose an alternate way of being, then you owe it to yourself. Maybe not your family, maybe not your friends, owe it to yourself. And those who rely on you to live the longest life possible, to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Give it two shots. Give it three yeah. shots. Like dating, not everything's going to be a fit. Yeah. And so find your fit. Find, find someone, an organization to support you. Reach out to Isaiah. Reach out to some support networks. The most important thing I think we can all agree is that the person get help for what the addiction is. Um, and, and I hope that if you're listening and you're in that space or you know someone in that space, that you advocate for them, you love them, and you support them through what they're going through now into getting help. And that's it. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you all. I love you. Subscribe, like, go. Make sure that you uh, check out all the things that are happening over here at Man vs. Brand. Same thing with NoX. Make sure that you're reaching out. You're doing your due diligence. Do Still do quality checks on your friends, man. Wellness checks. You'll never know. If this talk resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow me or my guest on all social media platforms. Make sure to look us up on YouTube and check me out anywhere that content like this is being shared. Till next time, love you, bye.